Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. This is Matt Burford. I am happy to be back. It's been about a year since we've been on, and I have a series of podcasts ready uh, to produce and put up. And in the state of Alabama, which we are devoted to, my nonprofit is devoted to, and again, our mission is to help create Christian advocates and ambassadors uh, for Christianity to a lost world and to help equip Christians to feel confident about sharing their faith. And in doing so, I've been able to meet all kinds of people, uh, especially in the Christian church. I used to say a long time ago when I started this nonprofit that my job is to remind Christians that we have smart people too. And not just that, that we have serious Christians who are following uh, the dictates of their, uh, of the beliefs, Christian beliefs, and actually using them in the world to bring Jesus to the world in a way that hopefully that we can be salt and light uh, to those uh, that are desperately needing him. And one of those people that I met not too long ago, um, met him, I don't even remember, Neil, how we how we got to know each other. I think it might have been through a friend of a friend, but uh, we haven't known each other very long. But in the, in the small amount of time that we've known each other, I've grown to really enjoy uh, hearing from you and your opinions on things. Uh, give me a little background of who you are, uh, what, what you do, what you have done, what your education is. Yeah, sure thing, Matt. And just let me say, it's an honor to be here. I've been really looking forward to this. And I didn't know this is your first one back after a year. So um, I hope I can deliver. Hope I can help you deliver. Um, so um, I am from the Birmingham area. I actually grew up in Hueytown and uh, went to high school there. And then um, for undergrad, I went to Birmingham Southern. I was one of the few who didn't go to the University of Alabama. So I'm a big, uh, big Crimson Tide fan. I spent a lot of time in Tuscaloosa. That's right, Roll Tide. um, Met my wife, Finley, at Birmingham Southern. And um, after that, I uh, went to UAB. I have a a master's in physics and a PhD in computational physics. Um, You know, Birmingham Southern is a liberal arts college. And so that did have a big impact on me, um, which I'm very grateful for. I actually had a great experience there. My major was uh, philosophy and physics. And um, in many ways, philosophy is really my first love. I, I haven't really had a chance to pursue that, but it, um, every time I sort of uh, feel a, a, a draw back to that. And I think that also has had a big impact on my life. And really physics and philosophy fit together uh, very well in, in many ways. Um, you know, after I finished my doctorate, I didn't continue in physics because um, a number of reasons. I think really what it comes down to, it wasn't truly what I was into, you know, what I was meant to do, but, um, I got more and more interested in software and, um, and, you know, having a career, making some money. I had, I had buddies who were software engineers and so forth. And, you know, uh, this was the late nineties before the dot-com bust and, uh, they were making in their twenties enough money to buy like a Mustang Cobra and, um, have a good time. And that was sort of irresistible to me being a young man in his twenties. And so, um, I, I hopped over and we moved to DC for a while, work for some startups. Um, I've been doing software now for 35 years. Um, I'll just fast forward to now I'm a CTO at a company here in Birmingham called help lightning. And I can honestly say it's the best job I've ever had. The people that I work with are amazing. Our customers are amazing. I love our mission. Um, as I've gotten older, um, 
it's become more clear to me that, you know, more than the technology or the cool toys or anything like that, you know, the, the, the mission that you have, you know, how you're engaging with the world, how you're helping people is uh, more important. Please, you know, that's, that's what makes, um, makes it feel like it's a place to be. And um, so I'm, C I'm CTO over there. I don't know if I mentioned that. And um, I have a lot of interest in things like uh, machine learning. That was my background as a computational physicist. Um, and um, you know, I think a lot about the new and emerging technologies. And I like to think about how those are going to impact our culture and uh, how we should respond to those as Christians. Yeah. So let's start off with that. Um, so I I enjoyed science fiction earlier on in my life. Uh, you know, usually I probably the, the what I would consider kind of the the vanguard of the of the sci-fi world. Huge Asimov fan. And so I learned the the robotic laws at, you know, when I was real young, uh, you know, I read Foundation, I read the robot series. So I, I'm pretty well versed in, in the sci-fi world. Um, as a Christian, you know, I, I was it was fun for me to learn that even people like C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in the sci-fi genre. And so Christians today aren't really seen as being forward thinking. Uh, but I actually think that our myth, our grand myth, our grand narrative, our worldview actually has built in a curiosity uh, about the cosmos. Uh, so in, in a sense, Christians should be forward thinking, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think um, very interesting book. Uh, so I, I agree with you on science fiction. There's a lot of things to talk about there, and I, I will say that in my walk as a Christian, um, I actually was, you know, I've been very much impacted by C.S. Lewis, especially the Space Trilogy, and I think uh, the last book in the space trilogy, you know, has a lot to say about um, science and technology and, and artificial intelligence in, in particular, we should come back to that. But um, there's a really interesting book that I just picked up and honestly, I haven't finished it all the way. I just started reading it. It's called Beauty First and it's by uh, an Eastern Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox um, um, academic. His name is Timothy uh, Patitsas. And I highly recommend this. Matt, actually, I think you in particular will enjoy it. But um, he has, there's a chapter at the end where he talks about the relationship between science and the Christian faith. And one of the things that he posits is that science, as it has evolved in the West over the past three or 400 years, you know, it sort of um, had three different phases. So, it, you know, it kind of started out where you had these two variable problems, you know, so like ballistics, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to load this cannon and I want it to go hit this, this wall over there. You know, how can I predictably do that with the greatest accuracy? And then um, the second sort of moved into um, multivariate problems, which is more the domain of, you know, statistical anal analysis so statistics developed and so forth. And then, Finally, and this is where it gets really interesting, you know, more recently, like, say, in the past 60 to 70 years, you, you, um, you get people talking about emergent systems, right? So there, and I guess the short way to explain what I'm, what is meant by that is the, the, the sum of an organism, you know, the, the, the behaviors of an organism, what it is, its ontology is, is not the sum of its parts, right? There are these, there are these behaviors, these things that sort of um, 
you know, emerge when all these little things are interacting together. And so, um, you know, consciousness may be an example of that. Um, but there are other things that are maybe easier to understand, like, you know, the, the, the polis, the city, right? You know, that's, that's, there's a, a character to a city that, that um, emerges from the interactions of millions of human beings. And so science sort of recognizes this and you, you can kind of see where um, there, you know, science in some ways in the West has been supreme in the past, for the past few centuries in turning its gaze on religion and saying, you know, um, hey, we should be able to develop the, a system from scratch that does the same thing that religious systems do, but they haven't really been able to do that. You know, you can go into all the, all the um, things like communism and so forth, where you have these sort of um, things that come from um, ideology, but the, the religions that developed are more um, organic or emergent. And so maybe there's a way that, that um, religion and science can kind of work together um, it's like the religious perspective can help or, you know, explain these, these uh, emergent systems. And I think that does connect back with, um, with AI and ML. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I brought you on, because I think we, first of all, I just wanted to set the table here that Christians, especially the, the Judeo Christian kind of worldview is it, to some extent has always kind of created a kind of a cultural milieu for which we can be curious about the world, understand the world. And science was somewhat born out of that. It's only lately where we want to pit science against quote unquote faith. And I reject that paradigm. Uh, what I would say is, is that Christianity uh, um, in the tradition that we're in actually is the solid base by which to think about um, discoveries and and scientific methodology and the world that's around us. And one of those things, if that's true for us to think about, is the real issue of artificial intelligence. Going back to my years in Asimov, you know, Asimov was a forward thinker. And one of the things he said is, you know, if there's these emergent systems, and one of those being androids or machine learning, is it possible for, for machines to have consciousness? And if so, what is going to be their value system? So he came up with the robotic laws. Uh, those robotic laws were to keep humans safe, right? How do we, you know, we're creating something that's superior to us. And if we're going to create and be the creator of something superior, what are our safeguards? Oh, well, I mean, that's kind of where we're at, I would think, today with the complex systems that we've created over the past 50, 60, 70 years. And one of that that has really entered itself into our cultural consciousness over the last 20 to 30 years is artificial intelligence. Uh, where do you find it? Oh, well, first you find it in myth, right? And our myth are usually, you know, stories and movies. And we've seen from Terminator uh, to iRobot with Will Smith, you've seen uh, from Black Mirror to others, you've seen people trying to deal with artificial intelligence. And the church usually falls trapped to fear first instead of let's look at this and see how this can help uh, humanity and help the church. So define for me what you think artificial intelligence is, and is it something we should embrace as Christians? Uh, is it uh, sp specifically morally neutral, or is it something that we should fear? Okay, so generally I, I tend to prefer to use the term machine learning over okay. artificial inter why is intelligence. That? Yeah, why is uh, that? Well, so 
And I think this is a this is a good example of something where science needs help and we can help them. So, you know, consciousness, that's a very difficult thing to define. And it gets really weird. It gets weird in terms of science because, you know, sort of the, the, the foundation, the foundational sort of liturgical act, if you will, of science is you come up with a hypothesis that is testable and falsifiable. And then um, any observer can sort of independently um, test that hypothesis. You know, they can repeat the experiment. But the key thing there, like that, sort of the is the repeatability and the idea that the observer is 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 separate, is outside. So it's like you know the observer is this floating thing that happens. Well, all right. So if you're trying to talk about consciousness as a scientist, well, it becomes recursive. So now the observer is trying to observe him or herself, mm. right? And so things get really odd when you it's, consciousness doesn't really work with the scientific method. And yeah, so, and there's theories behind that too, right? Aren't, aren't there, aren't there discussions about in the science world, if you observe it, you actually change the thing that you observe, right? And that's floating out there as well. Well, yeah. And that's, that's a, yeah, that's a quantum mechanics concept. You know, it's a whole other rabbit. rabbit yeah. But that's, there, there's but at least what we can say is it's incredibly complex and layered. That's right. That's right. And then, and the same thing with consciousness. I mean, that's really more of a philosophical term. You know, I'm thinking of Jonathan Pajot here, but you know, you have this, um, if you, if you think about it, consciousness sort of exists at fractal levels. And so what there's this hierarchy of, of where you can say, this is a conscious thing. So, you know, obviously, you know, human beings, all of us made in the image of God are conscious. And then also we would say God is conscious, but um, there are these other sort of emergent consciousnesses, if you think about it. Um, a good example I've heard about recently, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so one of the, one of the, the uh, NASA, you know, projects to Mars, and I forget, I forget exactly which one it is, but one of the Mars rover projects. So if you think about how this whole thing works as a system, so you've got the rover itself, which has landed on Mars, and the rover, the machine, it has AI built into it. It has machine learning. And the reason is when the engineers uh, in Pasadena or wherever are communicating with that rover, there's, it's not instantaneous communication, right? So I forget when, you know, I forget the exact numbers, but when Mars and Earth are at opposition, it might, let's say, take 15 minutes for a signal to transit from Pasadena to Mars and then another 15 minutes for it to come back. So you see, you can't, it's not like um, running an RC car in your driveway. It's, it's, there's, you know, it's a, a bit more complicated than that. And so the, the rope, they've designed the rover so that it can kind of function on its own if it has to, right? So it can avoid obstacles and not drive over into the, you know, down into a crater somewhere and flip over, you know, and so then it's ruined. But then not only that, you think about um, the collection of engineers themselves, they all have different specialties and so so forth but this there's this sort of emergent consciousness which includes the rover and all the engineers in the program all working together to achieve this goal so you know okay we want we see this cliff over there in the distance we want the the rover to go 32.6 kilometers over there and the, you know they're, they're all uh, working together to achieve this this common objective so in a way the project itself has a sort of consciousness so that 
and that's just an example of, you know, a, a city can have a consciousness, um, a nation can have a consciousness, a church can have a consciousness, you know, it's just, it's interesting to think about how at these different levels, and even like, um, I'm probably going off topic into something I'm not really an expert in, but, you know, even an individual, like, I'm a, a single entity, but, you know, there's different um, passions and aspects to my personality that I know are at play within me, right? There's that, what Tolstoy said about, the line between good and evil goes through every human heart, right? So mm. I, I feel that in my Christian struggle. And so anyway, that's just an example of where consciousness is another weird thing. And so it seems to me it's kind of cavalier to say, um, uh, I guess the, sort of the, the party line for the, the materialistic West is um, consciousness is no big deal. It's just, um, you know, basically our brains are these biological, you know, wet computers and, uh, the consciousness is just a result of the software, the way that our brains are wired together. And so therefore, if we build a metaphor, um, on silicon, on silicon, all it needs is enough processing power and enough memory and enough access to information and boom, you're going to have consciousness. So that's sort of the how 9,000, um, trope from you know 2001 right if you want to talk about um an example from fiction sure. but i think um i th just think it's a, quite a bit more complicated than that um so maybe it'd be better to say as christians we have a knowledge we have an like an we we have a knowledge of who we are as humans we know where we came from we all we also know that we're broken right there's a the creation and fall aspect of, of who we are, um, that our anthropology, we have a full fledged anthropology that's been worked out, you know, going for a long, long time. So usually the things that we create, the tools that we use to function in the world are usually kind of neutral. They've been neutral for a long time from the printing press. to whenever there were tools that we can enact that didn't weren't very complicated, they just got more complicated over time. But we're not talking about just a printing press that can have, which had a massive effect on us as a civilization. But we're talking about when you say machine learning, we're talking about machines that can do the kind of computations that I can't even fathom anymore, right? And 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 we got to a point now where we're interacting with what we call bots, which are machines that have learned to interact with us to make our life, you know, supposedly better, or you know, to to take. Uh, simple things that we we usually do and allow the the algorithm to do, to, to to take care of it. Uh, for instance, an example would be on Amazon the other day. It's collected data over time for me, and now it recommends books. And I'll be honest with you, the books that it recommends, I've bought, and they've been awesome. Like I, I'm reading a book now, on medieval on C.S. Lewis in the medieval mind. I mean, mm -hmm. the the algorithm suggested it, and it was spot on. Yeah. You know, yep. so uh, is that, but, but we fear ourselves because we know that we're broken. So I'm assuming we're thinking as we create these complex machines, what are they, you know, is there an inherent evil in that? Because, you know, we have a brokenness about us. So I guess that's what I, I wonder in terms of our fear. Well, will these things that we've created become so complicated that it endangers us. Yeah. And if it'd be okay with you before I address your question about fear specifically, sure. Maybe it would be good if I just sort of talked about the state of the art. Okay. All right. Yes. So um, 
you'll hear a lot about AI and machine learning, and there's a lot of examples of this. Um, you, you just gave one from Amazon. Um, if you if you actually want, if you and your listeners wanted to go play with a real example from Google, I recommend this website called uh, GB, gpt3demo.com. And there, it's, it's sort of like an app store for AI specific apps. So for example, there's a good one on there called AI Buddy, right? And so you can, you, there's a website, um, you know, you can just click the website and basically it's a chat bot. So you're, you may, you, you and your listeners may have heard of the Turing test, right? So the Turing test is sort of a famous test in this, in this field. And the idea would be if you could build an algorithm that had a, a means to communicate, say through a chat, and you know, if you had um, you had human beings on one end and that and sort of a control group, which would be other humans, and then a test group, which would be would include some AIs. And the, if the humans cannot distinguish between the control group and the test group, then mm -hmm. your AI basically was sentient, according to this test. Now that test has a lot of problems, um, but the that aside, the Turing test basically has been satisfied. Um, there, there, you know, I don't know when this happened exactly, but you know, it's been in the past twenty years. There, there are a lot of, um, the, you know, um, algorithms out there that would completely fool you. <laughs> It'd be very hard yeah. to distinguish. And then you probably saw there's a, there was a news story recently about an ex Google employee that said that uh, Gato G A T O had had become sentient at Google. Right. So there was a big, there was a big brouhaha uh, about that. I will say just one side comment on that one. One of the, it's pretty easy. Some, like the, one of the problems with the Turing test is that we human beings are such good pattern matchers that we'll, um, even unknowingly, we'll sort of um, shape the conversation for the AI. <laughs> and one, one, one way I heard that you can expose this is if you get, if you get the two uh, chatbots to talk to each other, it very, <laughs> Even the best ones, it very quickly becomes nonsensical. Yeah, that's they, interesting. They, they, that dance doesn't work very well. Huh. So um, mo most of the state-of-the-art AI is, um, is effectively pattern matching. Uh, there's something called a neural network. A neural network has to be trained. So, for example, a very common neural network um, sort of problem is, you know, uh, training um, a neural net to recognize uh, certain images. Right. So um, like pick out a face in a video stream or, you know, even even to the point like you could you could show it a picture of a cat next to a wall and it'll label that cat next to a wall. Right. Mm -hmm. And the way this happened was um, someone actually did go through the process of showing thousands or tens of thousands of images and saying, OK, this is a cat. And so the neural net actually uh, learns in a sense. It really does learn. OK, this this collection of pixels is a is a cat. Right. And there's a, there, so one thing about this type of AI, though, is it's very specific to a, a, a sort of task, um, you know, like recognizing a face or like playing Go or like playing an Atari game or like teaching a robot arm to stack blocks or something like that. You know, single purpose. So that, that's kind of say the art. So another term you'll hear about um, that really I, I started learning about in the past year is artificial general intelligence, AGI, All right? So this is kind of the next phase of evolution in this field. And in this case, the idea is not to have a single purpose 
AGI, but something that's more human-like in the sense that it can do it can do all sorts of things. So maybe it knows how to to um, caption images. It knows how to do chatbot dialogue. It knows how to um, you know play an Atari game. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea, or the I guess the hypothesis being tested there, is that there may be a way to get the um, that the uh, algorithm can actually have the different uh, modalities or the different sort of um, ways of doing things inform one another. So um, if you look in, like if you look at TechCrunch, for example, there's a lot, the VCs are starting to fund things like this. So there's, there's actually being, you know, people are putting skin in the game to develop these AGIs. Hmm. All right. And so the last thing I'll say about it though, just, um, uh, to me, this is fun. I mean, it's actually amazing how accessible these technologies are. I mean, we are, you're, you're probably not even aware of all the different places you're using it. I mean, sure, there's the spooky stuff where you have a conversation with your wife and then, you know, you're on Amazon or you do a search later on and like, how did you know what I was talking to my wife about? You know, there are weird things like that, but um, I've even, you can buy, you can go, I did this with my, my sons. We, you can go buy, for less than a hundred dollars, a Raspberry Pi with a camera, and uh, if you're so inclined and interested in this sort of nerdy stuff, you can you can configure it with open source, um, you know, machine learning, and you know, basically build a system that, for example, would recognize a deer, you know, sort of like a super cool game cam that would recognize a deer, but then do stuff like you could actually cause it to trigger your corn feeder when it sees the deer in range, but not trigger the corn feeder when it sees a raccoon. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, it's, it's like democratized technology. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty awesome. We, we did this sort of thing. So that's kind of the state of the art. Um, I know you want to talk more about, all right, so is there anything to fear here? So I would say um, the technology itself, um, I do think is neutral. Um, I think the, the concern, there's nothing new under the sun. The concern is always um, the dark side of human nature. Powerful men will always use these technologies to consolidate and extend their power, right? And so this, um, this uh, area, this field, um, lots of money being poured into it, including at the nation state level, right? There's a thing called um, uh, AI supremacy, um, quantum supremacy is another one, but, you know, um, the Chinese are pouring a lot of money into it. Um, I know we are for sure. Um, and so the reason that powerful people are interested in things like this is they think that they can, you know, extend their power. And that could take the form of, you know, he who has the best, you know, sort of um, um, algorithm that's this directing all the ships and uh, or whatever in a military engagement can operate the fastest, you know, that sort of thing. They're going to win the, win the battle or win the war, or it might be, um, you know, a way to make sure that they uh, can control their populace. Um, so I, I don't want to go too much to the dark side, but I'm just saying, I'm sure that there are smart people who are thinking of how to use these tools to do those sorts of things. But it's always been that way. Right. I mean, right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just human history. We, we, you know, we can use tools for good and we can use tools for evil. I, I guess that's what I hear you saying. But I mean, so is there a, 
you know, I find all this stuff fascinating and I wonder to some extent, even God looks at us and wonders and, and is, is in wonder sometimes, even though nothing catches him by surprise. I mean, he did create us in a way to where we can eventually create these complicated systems and these tools. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I, I find I'm in awe of the people that I meet, especially in the Christian world who are in this world and the things that are going on. I don't automatically go to the fear I'm more just in the awe of what these things can do and how we can use it, right? Um, but is there an endpoint here? I mean, do, what do you see since you're a practitioner into this world? Um, I, I did read an article that you wrote, and I'm going to put this up uh, in our description on YouTube uh, link where you talked about the ethics of AI. Um, I mean, you 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 are in this field. You're a practitioner. You're thinking in this in this field. Where are we headed? I mean, where do you see us 10 years from now? And as forward-thinking Christians, I mean, how are, we, how are we to think about machine learning? I mean, how are we to think about where we are 10 years from now with machine learning? Yeah, so as far as the ethics goes, you know, kind of building on what I just said about how um, powerful people are going to seek to use this technology to consolidate and extend their power. Uh, there's, I, I would do, I do think that AI and machine learning is neutral with, with, with regards to good and evil. I don't, I don't think that's something that, you know, um, these algorithms are going to be able to sort of quote, figure out on their own. Right. So if they're going to have some sort of ethics um, or let's say cyber ethics built into them, it's going to be an expression of whoever trained them in the first place. Yeah. Right. So that's one, like that's, that. that's, I would say that's the first place where Christians need to be engaged. I like that. Right. We need to understand, um, not fear these things, but understand that's, that's really what's happening. Right. Someone has to train them. They're going to reflect a certain worldview. And we need to ask questions about what worldview that is. Hmm. Yeah, so, that's good. Uh, uh, and a good, you know, not going, um, to like uh, an apocalyptic sort of you, uh, like end of the world, but something I think is, you know, I, I could see happening that's, that's very feasible would be something like this. So let's say another pandemic, God forbid, rolls around in the next 10 years. I think that AI and machine learning presents an opportunity for people in power to outsource difficult decisions. Right, mm. because they can dress up the the AI in a patina of being non-biased. Hey, it's just a computer. You know, it's just gonna we're it's optimizing for what what's best for society, whatever that means. Wow. Yeah, and it, it and so we're just gonna let it make the decision, right? So we don't have to worry about all this um, political debate and all this tension and so forth. Um, just let the machine do it. And there's a lot of danger and risk there because in some ways it's just like the Wizard of Oz. There's a man behind the curtain, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he's saying, don't look at me. Look at this. This is the thing over here that's, that's really where all the power is, but still someone's controlling it behind the scenes. And it, so that's one place. Um, another thing to think about, there are, very, there are lots of things that are happening right now. Like, there are new stories. If you go look um, on, on TechCrunch and do a search on AI, one of the big uh, sort of controversies that's happening right now is people 
are using these uh, deep fake algorithms. So it, for your listeners who don't know what deep fake is, this is where um, this is where uh, you can use an AI. And so, for example, um, you know, it, it can take a video of me talking and it can transform me into Tom Cruise or Bill Clinton or Coach Brian or something like that. Um, if you do a search on this, you can see it. It's pretty amazing how well it works. But deepfake can also be used like imagine, um, you know, somebody could impersonate uh, um, someone of importance, you know, saying something they shouldn't. And it's 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 almost indistinguishable. It's hard to detect. Um, like, you know, so, for example, it could impersonate, you know, a president saying, um, I'm about to launch a nuclear attack on North Korea or something like that. And then, you know, was is it real or is it not? Well, yeah, so that that's another example of where um, I mean, that's happening right now. I mean, so celebrities are really upset about this because, you know, their, their brand is being abused by these deep. Yeah. Things. And, yeah. and that's a, the, the, what we call in that world. They call it the uncanny valley. Right. That that <laughs> that space yeah. where we can figure out if it's a human being or not based on like emotional responses to different objects and stimuli. And that's a whole nother discussion. But, you know, I watched something the other day about how Disney is buying up old um like property of 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 people that have passed away because they see a future of being able to create uh movies um through like deep take deep fake technology mm-hmm. they'll be able to bring people that have been dead for 50 years so who gets the money for that well i mean those ethical questions i hadn't heard that always, but that's really interesting yeah yeah so there's like right. a bank so there'll be like a bank of 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 ips that disney corporation will own and it's just owning your image um mm-hmm. but what's fascinating about that is there's always a moral component to it it's you know technology always comes with moral questions because we're value people like human beings who have the status of the image of god we look at things in the moral world so there there are hardly ever any tools that don't come with some sort of moral implications because we're moral beings, right? Uh, so the question of how do we use it was a proper way to use it is the church world. And if we're not taking those things captive, we're not doing our job. And if we're not becoming practitioners in some of these worlds and trying to, you know, then we're not doing our job either. Uh, we can't just become like, you know, the type of people who just shun, you know, the technology world and say, that's just not for us. We may be taking everything captive for ourselves and figuring out what the moral implications are. And that's the reason we're having you, by the way, we started like these micro events. We've been doing them for a while, but uh, in Birmingham, where we both live locally, we're starting to try to gather together to think about these issues across, across uh, denominational lines. Uh, you're, you're Orthodox, you're Greek Orthodox. And we brought, you know, we, and I'm Baptist and you have, you have a history in the Protestant world as well. Uh, but we're, we're coming together as mere Christians to think about these, these issues. If you want to know more about that, you can come to tacticalfaith.com. What specifically are you going to be speaking about in September uh, on, is it about this issue or is it something else tech related? It's something else tech related. Uh, I, I think a lot about, you know, smart devices, phones, uh, because I've been building these things for so long. And there, again, uh, another example of how technology can do wonderful, amazing things, um, but also depending on how it's used, it can have a dark side. And um, these, these devices are 
design by design and certain apps are in particular you know to be addictive to to monopolize our attention uh and so i just think about you know if one of the things in orthodoxy that we talk a lot about is is attention and you know our ideas to um um or even i'll make it not just orthodox but just think about the idea of praying continuously right mm. to always be having that conversation with god to be have you know acting liturgically that way like that's supposed to be all of our life right at every moment and then you have this device that's um demanding attention itself and sort of disrupting that right and so i want to talk about how that comes about and you know, can it be, you know, is it addictive? If it is addictive, then what can we do to counteract that? Uh, those sorts of things. So it, it'll great. be, uh, it'd be a very, very practical talk. Well, we're looking forward to it and, and we'll, we'll wrap up uh, with that, but thank you so much for coming on. I, I hope uh, I consider you part of the tactical faith family already, uh, but I hope we can come on again and, and discuss these things and in our partnerships, if we grow together, I mean, you're going to be the kind of guy that I like to pick your brain on these issues because they're they're going to be more important now than ever. Uh, one of the things a friend of mine always talks about is that we have a lack of trust in in the world that we're in, and trust only comes about through a dedication to truth, transparency, and transcendence. Uh, that's the world that we live in, and and so we cannot let uh, complicated matters like this go because we we have as Christians. We have to hold up being genuine, being uh, followers of Christ, and to also understand that we have to enable, we have to engender trust in others, and and uh, part of that is thinking about these issues and preparing ourselves so that we can live out First Peter three fifteen, which is to uh, provide hope to those with gentleness and understanding. So thanks for what you do, Neil. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks.